0: Life's but a song, so you can sing along with my special guest star two for two. You like to sing and dance, and this podcast by chance explores musicals for you. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Life's But a Song, a podcast that likes to live in the land of musicals. I'm your host, John, and with me today is a very special returning guest who I you, the goal has been achieved i forgot how many you've been on already Whew. um it's matt coplick everyone hi everyone and <laughs> we're here to do a sort of repeater
1: um a do over repeater second look
0: second look but Deeper look. this is this is the original movie the king and I which came out in nineteen fifty six because mm-hmm. you know we started with the batshit crazy one that I think I liked more than this version.
1: (laughs) Okay. um, I respect you, John. and This is your podcast. I'm so happy to be on it. I look forward to talking about how you're trash. (laughs) There wasn't a dragon. That's what I needed. There wasn't a dragon. There wasn't a hot air balloon. There wasn't a hot air balloon. There wasn't a one tusk elephant named Tusker where a hot bimbo makes him remember every day that he is not fully well.
0: There wasn't... There wasn't um, the monkey that is smarter than every person.
1: Moonshi. There Moon-chi. was more Louie in that one. Oh, that's yeah. Right. There isn't Mr. What's-His-Face, the um, <laughs> one who keeps losing his teeth.
0: Oh, the, the super racist stereotype person. Yeah.
1: Yeah, him. Oh, Master Little, who was Master a big guy, Little. Right? There yeah. wasn't Master Little. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, everyone's... A living, breathing individual. They're not animated with, you know, crayons and chalk. So, how are we supposed to keep our attention?
0: <laughs> well, this is the live action uh, movie, uh, screenplay by Ernst Lehman, mm-hmm. uh, music still by Richard Rogers, lyrics still by Ox- Oscar Hammerstein. Hammer- Hammerstein. Hammerstein. I can't talk. Words are hard. G um, is a hell
1: of a drug, John. <laughs> Stop it! You're not supposed to say that. Uh, <laughs> you're not. You're doing. You don't have advertisers yet. Like you can say whatever the hell you want. It's true. Fuck it. Uh, That's the glory of being the hippie podcast, <laughs> where you're not part of corporate yet. You're like, oh yeah, nah, nah, nah. <laughs> yeah. We did a
0: whole episode of Hello Dolly where we kept fucking up Barbara Streisand's name because of a text autocorrect.
1: Oh no! Kept so. adding that third A. No,
0: it was Batanara Streisand. Like he Streisand. <laughs> Streisand. Botanera That'll be my um,
1: new drag name. Please welcome the stage, Batanara Uh
0: The movie was directed by Walter Lang, and according to IMDb, a widow accepts a job as a live-in governess to the King of Siam's children.
1: Mm-hmm. She's not really a governess because she doesn't she's like watch teacher. them. Yeah, she's a school. She's a she's a tutor. That's her job. She teaches them. She's not, like, minding them. She doesn't, like, watch them go to the bathroom and be like, did everything come out alright? And then, like, tucking
0: them in, reading them a bedtime story. She doesn't do that.
1: Once the (laughs) lessons are over, she goes back to doing her own thing.
0: That's Maria von Trapp, everyone.
1: Yeah, that's another screenplay of a Rodgers and Hammerstein musical that Ernst Lehman did.
0: Yeah, and you were the guest on it.
1: Yes, I was. I'm just connecting all these Rodgers and Hammerstein babies. (laughs) All of them, baby.
0: Um, so... I've seen this movie before, mm-hmm. but I was like hate watching it this time because I was just like uh,
1: she's long, she's definitely long, and she's definitely so from the fifties. Uh, Have you ever seen King and I on stage, John? No, okay, um so I don't know if you remember from our last King and I discussion, uh the fifty the the movies of the Hammerstein and Rogers musicals uh of the fifties they kind of ended up becoming a double-edged sword for their legacy because they were very successful when they came out Mm -hmm. and then over the years once we got into like the 60s with bonnie and clyde and easy rider and then the 70s with french connection and one flew over the cuckoo's nest like when movies got more realistic more gritty when acting styles changed those movie musicals of the 50s some were able to kind of survive like the silly ones like singing in the rain but then the ones that were dealing with kind of more uh real issues like king and i a lot of the kind of flippancy of the of the treatment and of the grandeur of it all was looked at as sort of like treacly and stupid and it wasn't until the 90s when directors came to broadway with it again and they're like oh what if we like actually looked at the text and made people talk like human beings and that's when everyone oh these scripts are actually rather good just the 50s had really bad acting
0: this was carousel right
1: carousel into oklahoma into king and i I, um because yeah the 90s had a king and i with donna murphy that was called like it, it, it was, like, the like the sadomasochist King and I were, like, Donna Murphy's Anna was much more, like, a dominatrix than she was a prim and proper schoolmistress.
0: I'm here for it.
1: Yeah, and then we had the one with Kelly O'Hara, which was not quite so dom-top, but was, like, a little more of, like, looking at each other and heart palpitations and, like, uh, I have a little flutter in my bottom.
0: There wasn't one in the early 2000s. Am I correct in that? I there wasn't. Yet? No. But there there have been, like, a tour. There has been, like, a tour or something. King and I keeps
1: getting years. done all the time. I would say that King and I is probably the Rodgers and Hammerstein musical that's done the most in America, like, on Broadway, on the road, regionally. Um, Not it, Sound of Music? Well, I yeah. I think because of Sound of Music, people want the movie and the show is so different king and i it's pretty similar it's obviously changed recently because honestly up until the early 90s people were still casting white people in these roles and now that we're like hey maybe not it's a little more difficult because it's a large cast especially with children and you have to now actually take into consideration the actors race and heritage Uh, but Mm -hmm. there's like video of a young chenoweth doing tuptim in like some big regional theater in the early 90s so
0: I mean, this movie has Rita Moreno as top 10 because it was like, hey, you're a person of color. This is a person of color.
1: and that's. Do you know who was supposed to be before her? Dorothy Dandridge. (sighs) African-American Dorothy Dandridge, who would have done it. She turned it down because Otto Preminger, who was her lover, told her, it's not the lead. You just got Oscar nominated for Carmen Jones, another uh, Oscar Hammerstein movie. And he was like, you shall not do this. You're a star. And so she turned it down and Rita Moreno was like, supposed to honestly just sort of be like a filler audition they are like ah we'll see who else is around like more famous people and then she booked it because despite the fact that she is not uh Ty she no. is actually rather good in this movie she does a very good job and especially considering the fact they also have shrunk in her role she's missing two full songs in this movie
0: yeah like and no she's not Marnie Nixon uh, Voices, Debra, Kerr. Debra Kerr
1: yeah um or Debra, sorry De- it's Debra Kerr apologies everyone Deborah Kerr Deborah Carr, she's English or actually I think she's Irish Deborah Carr,
0: but like uh- t- uh Tub Tim in this movie doesn't really sing she, she has-, has the small house of Uncle Thomas, but that's a spoken
1: word yeah thing. which which rita Moreno I will say, I do think she slays that narration I think she you really hear the emotion of what Tub Tim is trying to hide in this performance mm-hmm. uh. That and the, and we'll get into Small House of Uncle Thomas, which rewatching I still I know no I mm, we're gonna we're gonna be battling this one out because I maintain that that's still good. Um. Well, okay, we're here. Let's
0: let's just do it. Right. I actually appreciate I appreciated the number and the choreography mm-hmm. and everything because like it looks like they tried. It sounds like they tried to like be respectful of Thai theater and Thai dance and everything.
1: Um, well, let's let's also, I mean, for the sake of also just um, historical accuracy and, and and just sort of at the time that this movie that this story takes place, it is still Siam, so I'm gonna I'm going to say Siamese just because that is it's the heritage of that moment, not like since then. Yeah, it, what they tried to do, and I think they do mostly succeed. It's harder to tell in the movie, and we'll discuss this as well. When I talk about some cuts that they make, and again how like fifties acting really kind of um undersell some of it the actor I also say the actor who impressed me the most because Yul Brynner is the one who like everyone remembers right he has mm-hmm. like the long looming shadow with this role Deborah Carr is the one I walked away from being like that's the woman acting on the screen I, like Yul Brynner is giving me a little too much like showy posing and like he's not bad you get why he like this was a celebrated performance in the 50s but like hers is the one that I think has aged the best Um, yes. she's a, again if they had kept in Shall I tell you what I think of you? I would have liked it even more because we it's nice to see Anna have a bit of a sense of humor and a bit of like punch to her. And she gets some of it in the movie, but they do cut some of it out, and I miss it. Anyway, small house of Uncle Thomas. Um the whole show, they did not want it to be a direct documentation of Siam at that time. First of all, because all of their source material was not a direct uh historical accuracy. Like, cause it's originally this is based off of a novelization of a historical account, which was also then turned into a movie starring Rex Harrison as the king, woof, and literally all white people as the citizens of Siam, again, woof.
0: And then even before Rodgers and Hammerstein wrote the musical, there were like other plays and other
1: Yes. Things, this this story had media. been this story had been dramatized before, uh on stage and on film and there have been other novelizations. They basically followed Anna and the King of Siam as their template for story structure mm-hmm. and how to include tuptim who is really given like horror tuptim in like the in the novel and in the original movie she's just given the shaft they really fucking r- make her suffer and the and Ar- oscar hammerstein's like i mean her ending's sad no matter what so i'm gonna give her a little bit more dignity she's not gonna die at the stake she's not gonna like be a slave girl with it uh with a baby from the king she's not gonna be having a sexual relationship with a priest she's going to be in love with a scholar, she's not going to be chained to the wall with a baby, and she will be heartbroken, but she will not be burned at the stake. And I'm like, you know what, Oscar? Good on you. Um,
0: so you mean like they did they write Lunta or was he also Lund, part of Lunta
1: the- was a different character. His his role in the story was always the same, but it was a different person. It was like a priest. It was very Scarlet Letter. Like uh, Tufton was having a sexual relationship with a priest and or a monk or something like that. And I don't think she. It's unclear if she had the child with him or it was her child is with the king but her child is like the reason why she wouldn't run away uh and so yeah so the uh, oscar uh, hammerstein's like let's cut the baby because we have enough kids in this fucking thing and <laughs> and they said,
0: make, and they do make jokes about it where, or how many children he
1: has yeah yeah
0: where he's like uh we have 174 for now who there's more on the yeah. way
1: <laughs> well like that is actually something that is historically accurate he did have i think he ended up having when he died, I think close to 90 children, and I don't know how many might might have died before he died, but he had many, many children. And that's that is something that was uh, true of kings before him. Uh, so that is the, the joke is not so much that, like, look at this fuck with his kids, but more sort of just the cultural difference of the two, because in Siam, like, it's just of course he that's why he has so many wives he needs to have as many heirs as possible and in england they're like no you have one royal
0: bloodline yeah (laughs) like you have
1: one partner and you have as many babies um that live but definitely never more than in the double digits um (laughs) and the low double digits to that but uh, so what i was gonna say was they didn't want it to be like a a documentary they they because they are also were businessmen and it was like 1950 and they said for this thing to do well on broadway we can't be like here's historical accuracy so they wanted to blend respect for the culture because they did they did a lot of research on it they wanted to blend respect for the culture with broadway know-how so the small house of uncle thomas choreographed by jerome robbins is not a hundred percent what um uh, Siamese theater was at that time, but it's about 50% that and then 50% ballet to create something that's not, that sort of, that it is its own, which I think allows it to sort of live on in its own secular bubble, you know?
0: Yeah, and that's, and again, I, I, I appreciate that moment because like Richard Rogers used instruments that, or what sounded like instruments that would be Played in a Siamese theater dance production, mm-hmm. music orchestration, whatever, and then the choreography and co- and costuming and everything like did look like inspired by.
1: Yeah, it's they there is it is not purely out of the imagination of the creative team. They did no. research to launch off of it because, and that's sort of the thing about oscar hammerstein that i always really respected from him especially from a man of his era Mm -hmm. like it's very important to remember what else was being produced at this time to so for him to not only make it a point to always want to give actors of color stories and roles but to not just come in and be like i've had success i can write whatever i want i'm not going to do no research he's like no i'm going to do research uh and then it was more of his business side, his producer side would be like, okay, how much of my research can I actually use before audiences turn on this?
0: Right, because the show came out in, what, 51? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So presumably for, like, I don't know, how long does it take? People write a show, can, can write a show for, like, decades. But, yeah. like...
1: I think they wrote they, this in about a year. A year, maybe one or two years.
0: So for 19, 1950s, this is pretty... Yeah. And also... Um, I agree with you with um, Anna Leon Owens. Did I
1: say your last name You said said it. You said it actually perfectly. Good on you. Considering it took you 90 days to say Coplick correctly, I'm very proud of you. Shut up. Um, (laughs) 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 What?
0: Coplick. Coplick. Yeah,
1: there it is. (laughs) We're looking cops today, everybody.
0: (laughs) But like, Okay, so I think I was hate rewatching it, but talking with you now about it, I think I'm coming around the bend a little bit. Okay,
1: because you, you also, John, you don't have to like it. I'm just trying to give you a bit more of a context for the movie as we look at it with 2022 20, eyes. You know what I mean?
0: But also, I'm watching this by myself for this podcast, and I'm not. I don't have anyone else to calm me down, or I could have been affected by the day. Who knows? There's so many variables. But I will. There are always uh, variables. There's always variables, <laughs> but with Anna's character like she's in well okay so written in 1950s set at what is it like 18, 1860, nine, some, 1860 1860 something. something it's during
1: yeah the civil war is either happening or about to happen
0: uh those ugly dresses um the she is a true like feminist character and very <laughs> strong and not and doesn't go oh you're a man okay i won't i won't fight you on this uh, topic which i really appreciated that headbutting that the two of them do. Yeah. But I feel like I feel like he doesn't compromise. And like I get it he's the king and everything, yeah. but like at first he doesn't compromise and then all of a sudden at the end of act 1 he's like I'll get you your house that you pro- yeah. that I promised you allegedly.
1: Well, so that's <laughs> so you claim I promised so- you a house. Um so I was watching I was with my grandmother last night. Uh, Full disclosure, everyone, uh, if if I sound less um, energetic today, I've had a very rough emotional couple of days. So to calm myself down yesterday, I went to my grandmother's and we watched my Big Fat Greek Wedding, which I had not seen in 18 years. Um, It's still very cute. It's not quite the brilliant rom-com I remembered it being, but it's still very cute. Did I cry during it? Yes, it was very unexpected, and I'm glad she was asleep so she didn't see me cry. (laughs) But... Something about the movie that's really interesting is, you know, it takes place in, like, 2002. And even and even though, like, half of her family is, you know, direct from Greece, you know, immigrants from five, 50 years ago, they still have rather archaic views of gender politics. The women, obviously, it's it, it's, you know, the women are smart. They own businesses. They run their businesses. But, like, the men still don't take the women very seriously in the movie. And the women... Always, if they want something done, they kind of have to sneak around the men and make the men think that it's their idea. There's like this whole scene where they want Nia Vardalos to take over for Andrea Martin's business. And the only way that her father will approve is if he thinks it's his idea. So you watch them manipulate him into thinking of putting Nia Vardalos into Andrea Martin's travel agency. Oh, what is it that? It's it's, they're like, they're like, oh, so how is business? And Andrea Martin goes, like, Andrea, Andrea Martin goes, oh, woe to me. Business is bad. And they just like keep on doing all these things to eventually get Gus the dad to understand like, no, Nia Vardella should run the business. They're like, Oh, you brilliant man. You brilliant man. So that's 2002. And he's not the king of a country who has been told for years that his word is direct from God. And he has to know everything because he's the king. So you do see him compromise in the way that he would, which is he'll never say you're right. I was wrong. He'll never say, um, you know, He'll never apologize. either. He'll never apologize. But he will learn. And he because he's because what we learn about him is that he is the first king that's really open to change. And this is something that is very true of the real king was that he was the one who brought Siam into modern civilization. He really brought in Western culture to Siam, not because he thought that uh, it was better, but because there was so much more to learn from the world. And he also had been I think he had uh, studied Western civilization before he became king, and he knew that there were things in science and in medicine mm-hmm. and in technology that could really benefit them, and it was a way to uh, make science progress. It's you know, it's sort of the counter show to Pacific Overtures in a lot of ways. I don't know how familiar you are with that, but that is Not Pacific that. Overtures is basically about the modernization of Japan, the and how Western civilization came in. Because the other thing is that. And we learn about it in the movie, you know, Siam is closed off to most of the rest of the world, especially, you know, Europe, let's just put it that way, Europe and the Americas. Mm -hmm. And to them, Siam is this untapped resource of goods of trading. And, you know, it's a plot point where they get a, he gets a letter where it is rumored that he is quote unquote, a barbarian. And, and if he's proven to be one, Europe can basically infiltrate Siam and take over, and they don't want that. And that's sort of what happens in Pacific Overtures with Japan. Japan is so closed off from the rest of the world for so long that eventually the rest of the world comes to Japan and bombards them, and they're like, no, 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 no. You're going to join us in all of this, and if you don't, we're just going to take over. And so Japan agrees, and then Europe and America do take over, but then Japan in the end ends up kind of becoming the dominant country of the world to the degradation of their culture and their history. But uh this is to say um his character is shown to be smart first of all he's fluent in english which to be fluent in another language already shows intelligence uh he's fluent in english he has a sense of humor in someone else's language which i think also shows incredible intelligence and insight and he's open to ideas he's not willing to say what a great idea you had because he is a man in 1860s he's the king of a fucking i can't i guys i cannot stress this enough he is the king of a motherfucking country he is mm-hmm. he is not going to say someone else had a good idea that is not what you what he would do but he does bend and i think that's very um and i think Oscar Hammerstein does a really good job in the script and i'm going to credit him more than i'm going to credit Lehman cuz Lehman doesn't really alter much dialogue he mostly cuts shit and the overall effect of the story is still the same, but there are things I miss, but uh, but also the movie is still two hours and 20 minutes. And I'm like, I get it. We didn't need another 20 minutes, but you know, I mean, it, may as well, well at that point. If so, it, yeah. It, sorry. I'm saying.
0: I was going to say like, if, if you're going to do the show, do the show. Like it, there's a reason why Rogers and Hammerstein created the show the no. way that they did and like unless it's truly like ancillary not really important i mm-hmm. feel like you could cut it but like i don't know i would love to hear rita moreno like sing sure. <laughs> the- well
1: rita moreno at that time could not sing cup tim as it was written which is why she was dubbed uh she was a uh... deep alto she was not a soprano i say was she's still alive she just does not have the voice now that she did then and the voice she had then was not the voice you needed for Tuptim. but her her apparently her screen test was so captivating and she's beautiful like you watch her in that movie and you're like yeah i i want to just give you a hug and then bow down to you because you're hot bitch and i would love to i would love to see her act my lord and master which is a song that shows us the darker side of Tuptim. uh when do you like do you know how that song is done in the show
0: i've i have no knowledge of the show's um uh soundtrack cast well
1: john get to step into broadway hd and you watch that kelly o'hara video from london bitch okay okay (laughs) i mean who yeah
0: i love kelly i feel like she will she will give a great performance (laughs) she she is very
1: lovely in it it's also worth watching for ruthie and miles and we'll get to that in a bit because the lady Tiang of it all is really fascinating to watch this movie again, having seen Ruthie's performance and knowing what that role can be.
0: Cause, cause Lady Tiang in the animated version was like all but cut,
1: right? She had like a line and they didn't even say it was her She was just like, Hey bitch, welcome to Siam. You're here right. with us now. And they didn't even bother to be like, that's Lady Tiang. She's the first wife. I kind I, I mean, I, I kind of did. I liked her. I
0: liked the performance that that actress gave. Cause like, mm-hmm. you know, she's, she's like the den mother. Or she is the dead mother, not like she yeah. is the dead mother, and also a translator of sorts. Yeah. But then, but then there's a moment where um, the guards come to Anna's room for mm-hmm. whatever reason, and they speak in because okay, it's, it's a Tuesday. They're there
1: because it's a Tuesday. They're like not... happy Happy Wednesday, bitch. We're here to search your room.
0: Well, it's like this. Um, this they speak Siamese to her and Deborah Carver re- responds in mm. English and I'm just mm-hmm. like, how long have you been here at this point? What I is think this?
1: it's supposed to be like a year at that point. Um, that I will also say that's the thing about the movie is they don't really fully address how long Anna has been there. They do not They do not emphasize how long it's been. They,
0: yeah, because Cause there, are, there are a few lines where she's like, it's only been a few months. Yeah. Where's my house? Uh or listen
1: she's been patient she's like you promised me a house i've been and you there's been no progress with it for almost a year i'm like girlfriend's patient uh Mm -hmm. i think and also in the movie she goes directly from her boat to meeting the king whereas in the stage show i think they make her kind of wait it out for two or three weeks and
0: again there's no dragon that they have to fight there
1: is no dragon but there is far less louis and so we have to be okay with that.
0: yes I still, I still rolled my eyes every time he was on screen.
1: Sure, he's less annoying than the one in the animated version because he never goes, "Munchie, Munchie, come back." Um, oh, so uh, uh, my lord and master. So, um, yeah, when Top Tim first arrives, and because she's a gift to, from another uh, kingdom or country, or I'm, I don't even remember which. Uh, I
0: think it's a country.
1: A country, yeah, from another country. Uh, they ask, you know, what is your what can you do essentially and she's like well i speak english and i can read which is like very shocking and that's like the big thing that she can read and they say okay the king is pleased with you you like you can stay you'll be another wife and they all go off stage and she sings my lord and master which the opening line is he is pleased with me my lord and master and it's not like the tone of it is not oh thank god she's like oh He's pleased with me. whoop fucking do She Like, she's so angry that she's there. She doesn't want to be there. She's in love with Lunta, and, she's, and she basically... The whole song is basically, I'll put up a front because I have to to stay alive, but he'll never know that I love someone else, and, like, this is my lot now. And it's an angry song. And it's very strange for a young Haranjnu, their first song out the gate, to be like, I'm pissed. And I miss that for her. Instead, we, you know, we just have to watch Rita Moreno be sort of like sullen and waif-like, and but then like eventually...
0: a little, a little sassy to Anna.
1: Oh, she's yeah, she's sassy to to Anna for sure, and to uh, and to the other women. But whenever she's sort of like in the presence of the king, she's always a bit waif-like, obviously because she has to be. But that's something I miss about that inner monologue is giving her that kind of grit. Because uh, Rogers and Hammerstein uh, women, I know people will disagree with me on this, but I, I maintain this i think there's some of the best female roles in musical theater because they're all so complex and even when they have actions that maybe we wouldn't morally agree with you watch it and you're not and you don't think to yourself this seems false or this feels like an agenda you you're, you feel like you're watching a fully formed person make good and bad decisions throughout the night mm-hmm. and that's for me that is a truly feminist character because that's they're not objects they're not symbols they're people and that's what true uh independence is is just to be a person on stage and not be anyone's agenda uh i and you know it took a long time we're still kind of working on that with queer characters in in musicals i'd argue a lot of queer characters are like symbols or agendas or you know um we come down on high and we say a little bit of wisdom or we say something sassy and then we go off stage like i can maybe name on one hand the number of musicals that have like actual flesh and blood gay characters (laughs)
0: See The Prom, for example.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. The Prom I like, but the, the queer culture of The Prom is tricky and made much worse in the movie. Yes. Right. Hot take here, Brian Murphy is not good at what he does. No. No, he's not. Sorry about it, everybody. We all blame James Corden, but listen, there was someone behind that camera telling James what to do.
0: You're right. It was, it, it was choices
1: made by both director and actor anyway Uh anyway you know know who's not in King and I James Corden or Ryan Murphy so let's go back to King and I could you imagine
0: James Corden as Anna Owens though
1: honestly I could more so than Streep is that weird
0: no Streep (laughs) will play the king
1: oh she would absolutely play the king She play the fuck out of the king oh my god
0: let's make it happen
1: (laughs) and Nicole Kidman with her unstraight leg is gonna be Eliza from Small House of Uncle Thomas because she can only bend her leg so she's perfect for the dance she can't ever straighten it. Run, and
0: guys, Andrew Rannells
1: touched him. I want to. I want to see that bitch be a waif.
0: <laughs> but he gets. The, he gets a song that the uh, the. Yeah, one we would was put cut. in "Lord and Master," was... and
1: also um, we put in "I Have Dreamed," which is their big act two uh, duet. Because they have they keep, I believe they keep all of "We Kiss in a Shadow" and maybe a little bit of "I Have Dreamed" in the movie. Like they kind of combine it, if I recall. Uh... Two separate songs. They sing, "I we kiss in the shadow in Act One, and then I have dreamed in Act 2.
0: Yeah, they. You were correct. They smashed it together in one song as like a mashup King, or whatever. Yeah, so like
1: King and I did the first mashup. <laughs> History, historical. So historical. Props to you, Mama.
0: So okay, you were you you kind of teased us earlier that you know about like the cut scenes and cut what was cut. What else so they was did? Cut? Apparently,
1: they did cut "My Lord and Master." Um well, they... was it filmed at all or no? Well, that's the thing. I think they I believe they filmed my lord and master. I believe they filmed uh I have dreamed and they had and they filmed shall i tell you what i think of you. And they cut all three and they and when they released they did like they released a longer cut supposedly and when they got to shall i tell you what i think of you they just had the marnie nixon audio with like stills of deborah carr on set which made everyone go oh the footage doesn't exist anymore they shot it but it doesn't exist anymore because that was you know of the era when when you filmed it and it didn't make the final cut into the fire it went yeah and yeah like why would we keep this extra footage that there's there's not enough space in the in the vault for this shit um i don't know if there's anything else they filmed or recorded i wish that they kept western people funny which was a song for decades people misinterpreted uh with racist connotations and then in the Bartlett share revival when ruthie and miles did it everyone went oh that's what the song's trying to do got it
0: uh who sings it
1: lady tiang so okay. at the top so at the top of, so the, i don't know if you've noticed in the movie when uh the english come to visit Siam to see that the king's not a barbarian the whole thing is like oh okay anna you have a week to basically like make us look uh english. european yeah, yeah look english and so the all the wives wear hoop skirts everyone but lady tiang she's still in her traditional yeah product,
0: i did notice that
1: which is a bde move by the way it wearing very
0: him. yes yeah yeah you know lady tiang in this movie i think spins everyone not only does she because you, you said earlier about you you were making a connection to my big fat Creek wedding i yeah. don't think we actually finished it but lady <laughs> Tiang tells anna you know oh king is very pride uh has a yeah. lot of pride in everything uh maybe if you were to suggest to him things and it's just like lady Tiang, do you like secretly run this kingdom
1: a little bit a little bit. Um, yeah, but that's also sort of the the reality of that world, of that time, of that country, of her situation. And she's happy to do it because she does love the king and she respects the king. And something that uh, Anna says when he's dying towards the end, spoiler alert, everyone, in this version, he do die. Uh, Louis says, was he a great king? And she's like, I don't think anyone could be as great as, you know, they could be. He's like, but he tried really hard. But and that's- he- Mm-hmm. Oh,
0: uh, sorry. Continue your thought.
1: Uh, no, so That's sort of, that's like the difference between him and previous kings is how hard he tried and recognized that he was um, not a fully formed king, that he was, there was always, he could always be better. And that's sort of a Lady Tiang is singing about in Something Wonderful, which is a song that has been taken out of context too often and put into other things. Like when I rewatched it for this episode, I couldn't help but think about how Emerald Fennell used it for Promising Young women when they were um, discarding of carrie mulligan's body again spoiler alert on that movie but it's been two years so suck it and uh the the song out of context makes it sound like you know he sucks but you love him so you do you deal with it and what it is it's lady tiang being like no no, no this is a man who despite culture recognizes his failures and will continue to fail like everyone in the world does but be, but every now and then, something he does something amazing, and you recognize the potential that he has to continue to be amazing, which is why you stick with him. And again, it's a, you think about that culture of that time and their placements, like this would be her mentality of why she's like, no, 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 you got to go to him. Like, I would go to him, don't you understand? Even if Anna doesn't agree, even if the audience doesn't agree, you have to just at least understand where the character is coming from and understand that it makes sense for them, even if it doesn't fit you, because hot take not everyone's life mentalities fit everybody else but um so the thing with western people funny is act two begins and everyone's in their hoop skirts and like lady tiang why are you not wearing hoop skirts she's like bitch please um lady (laughs) lady tiang has big has big dick energy everybody she basically looks around and she's like this is stupid and she's and the opening lyrics are to prove her uh to prove her not barbarians uh, they make us dress like savages to prove we're not barbarians. We wear a funny skirt. Cause they're like in shoes that pinch their feet. They're in dresses that are heavy and in their opinions, ugly and like weird shaped. And she's like, it's so weird that we have to do this to prove to people that we're not savages. And she's like, look, it's like, look, and she's like, look at me. I look like a million dollars. Why would I wear a hoop skirt? Like I can just show them I'm proud of my heritage and I can, you know, show off my, my intellect and whatnot, just as I am, which she does.
0: 1860s women's fashion man it's crazy it's two triangles yeah and that was sexy like that was that was the fashion and everything and it's just like and if you showed a little ankle ooh.
1: i mean ooh. i don't know if i can come at it with judgment because we still wear ugg boots you know
0: right <laughs> right but like <laughs> have we
1: really progressed no well in yeah. different ways yes sure. but uh our fashion still sucks but we allow women to have power we're still getting there. <laughs> yeah, no, we have we have a lot further to go. Oh but God. um yeah, that so like I miss that song again it has a sense of humor about it and also it gives you more insight into Lady Tiang and her kind of and it and it and it leans into one of the major themes of the show and the movie which is the culture clash of western civilization and eastern civilization coming together and recognizing the uh qualities of both as well as the detriments of both. Um there's so much tradition and honor in siam that i think anna really respects and then there is a lot of terrible protocol that makes that not only makes no sense but is harmful to people like just the the, the, the talk of slavery in this movie and you know and the show of course is fascinating and it's i mean it's a really smart choice to have anna give Tup Tim uncle tom's cabin to read because it's like i mean some might say it's a little on the nose. It's like, oh, you're a slave, and by the way, here's a book about slavery that ends up like laying the groundwork for the civil rights movement in America. At this time, here you go, Tuftum. It's literally, um, like giving. Uh, I'm trying to think of a. Uh, oh, what was that movie on Disney? Oh, Better Nate than Never. Or uh, ne- ne- do you know what I'm talking about? The, it was like the on...
0: recent one about a kid going to Broadway or whatever. Yeah, is that what it was called? I think that's what it was called. Yeah. Better Nate it, than ever, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's like Lisa Kudrow giving Nate, being like, "Oh, have you read Angels in America, sweetie? You're on the verge of coming out of the closet. Here you go." <laughs> like oh it's God. that, but I'm okay with it because it allows Tuptim to be creative and like use it for her own agency in the end. Uh, yeah. Anyway, that's, And also that's attempted
0: speech.
1: escape. Attempted escape, failed escape, but failed um, escape. That, that was that was I I love Tuptim. I love her agency. I love how how driven she is. But like, girlfriend, that was a stupid plan that was you could have tried even harder she needed her glamour she was like you could have hid in a basket or something you're small but she was like no i must be in a shawl because i'm delicate
0: right but i mean like it did kind of make sense like you know she would hide in a shawl lunta uh would use the rickshaw to help mm-hmm. get her out off the island and yeah. how long is she missing for like a day is that what happens no they find
1: her later that night yeah like they assume that she's somewhere in the palace hiding from the king because she had her small outburst at the end of Small House of Uncle Thomas, but
0: Oh right, they poke her, uh, and then they're like, We found her. Let's yeah, kill her. And,
1: yeah, well I think they well, they weren't gonna kill her. They were they were gonna whip her. Lunta died, and I don't it's not made clear if they killed him or if he died trying to escape in the river, but I think in the show they do kill him. That's that is the oh. listen that's that's the thing about rogers and hammerstein musicals people don't recognize like there's darkness to them billy bigelow commits suicide in carousel oklahoma like judd fucking eats grass and dies uh south pacific lieutenant cable dies like death abounds in a a oscar hammerstein and richard rogers musical
0: speaking of death the king dies yes he do but does he not die in the show is that what you No, he does
1: no he dies in the show he dies in the show
0: I thought you were or, making reference to, like, in the no, movie, the, he dies. In the not, animated
1: movie, he does not die.
0: That's what it was, right. Yeah, right, he comes back to life, magically. Yeah. By From a, like,
1: 900-feet fall. He's like, I'm not dead yet. I say when I die. And I'm like, you're not that powerful, ho. <laughs> but, like, they don't really say what he dies of. Or he, the
0: fact that he's been sick this whole time.
1: It, yeah, they... <sighs> I okay, so as someone who is definitely a champion of Rogers and Hammerstein musicals, I will say if there's one thing about Oscar Hammerstein as a writer, and Sondheim talks about this too, he is so overly optimistic and like sweet in his writing that sometimes he leans into the poetic when you're like, uh, I don't think you should lean there. For example, there is a line in Carousel that gets misquoted all the time, uh, and it's when Billy comes back from the dead. And he's trying to get his daughter to accept the star because like his uh, afterlife depends on it and she won't take it. And he slaps her out of frustration. And then when she tells Julie about it later, she goes, I, I heard it, but I didn't feel it. It was almost as if he had kissed my hand and everyone's like, oh, she's saying it's because he loved her." I'm like, no, it's, it's a line stolen from the play Lilium that carousel's based off of. And it was bad in Lilium too, but Hammerstein was like, what beautiful poetry? Cause it, they're trying in a poetic way to say. Of course the slap didn't hurt. Billy's fucking transparent because he's a ghost. And, right? like it's That's what the line is saying. But they're trying not to be so, like, uh, heavy about it and, and, like, clunky about it. So, like, he kissed my hand. And it's like, yeah, he's transparent. He's a ghost. It wouldn't hurt. It's a bad line. It's just bad poetry. It's like middle school right on your arm poetry, you know? And King and I, it's the same thing where it's like he's dying of a broken heart. It's like he's probably dying of cancer. But no one's saying it. Um, or
0: or some other disease that they they don't have the words for yet
1: yeah because they don't know and rather than kind of lean into what it could be and and really and maybe add a couple just a handful of details to give the audience a bit more context as opposed to just like he's dying of a broken heart uh they just they just go broken heart broken spirit i'm like okay
0: yeah but because because it's like she's she's like i'm gonna go bye like i'm over this
1: he also, he did, the king did die very suddenly in real life. Um, I I did some research on this beforehand because I was like, what was the real story? How did he die? Was it, because he was, I think, in his late 60s, maybe early 70s when he died. So it could have just, just been old age.
0: Which was old at that time. Yeah, for that, yeah. For that
1: time. And Anna also was in Siam for a lot, lot longer than the show would have you believe. But she she was in, she went to England for a bit with her with her son, Louis, because she also had a daughter that the show never addresses that she uh put in school in England. So her daughter could have a take advantage of the social hierarchy that you get from an English education so she could have more opportunities for marriage and whatnot. And then basically came back to England for a few months to when her daughter graduated to get her settled with, you know, As an adult, to put Louis in a school, I think in like Ireland or somewhere. And while she was out there, the king died. And that was, you know, a six, seven month trip. So he was apparently fine when she left and within six months died. So that was still rather sudden. But like a lot can happen in six months. Plus, this is 1860s. So there's not like
0: modern medicine that would. He could have had
1: cancer for like four years that no one realized. And then in those those six months, that's when it all hit the fan.
0: Right. Or maybe had a heart did it was it actually cancer that killed him or was it a like, heart attack I, f- maybe from
1: everything i've read and from what the show blandly describes it sounds like that to me it sounds like cancer that no one recognized or no one was igno- uh, no one could uh diagnose and that it just really kind of rapidly progressed in the last like quarter of the show honestly like from uh after shall we dance onwards like when he's about to whip tucked him and then Anna says you are a barbarian. The way he kind of like physically, huh? It it feels it it looks like there's something going on inside his like immune system. Oh, I have I didn't pay that
0: much attention to it. Eh. Was
1: just... It's one of the few times where Yul Brenner's actually like acting, acting, and not just being charming. So it's worth noting. I'll say I that. have to, I have to say
0: though as well points to this show movie, mm-hmm. um, the Rogers and Hammerstein version where they don't fall in love. They may like play around with a, will they won't they moment, but like, that's not the story. They don't fall in love with the, in the end. And like, I feel like that's rare for this time period in musical theater.
1: Oh yeah. Very rare. And it's weirdly considered a romantic musical and their relationship is so much more interesting than a romance. Like there is, there is definitely a sexual tension and that is very much what shall we dance is about. Mm -hmm. And one wonders, if the tub Tim Fiasco didn't happen immediately after Shall we Dance, like what might have come to it uh come to their relationship in the future, but more than anything, it's a mutual respect of uh integrity and intellect that like, really that really they're kind of like the first platonic friends it's like it's the uh it's a precursor to when Harry met Sally in thirty rock, you know of yeah
0: it's it like they they're a little flirty, especially when it came to like that um no one's head shall no, be hard. higher than mine moment yeah like they're, they are clearly flirting with each other but they're not banging they're not you know
1: they're not i fucking. always yeah i mean i always viewed that whole like no head shall be higher than the king the way that he sort of fucks with her on that i never viewed it as flirty so much as like <sighs> negging is, an, is, is is not the right word because that's so toxic but like I don't know when you're well, when you when you like kind of take the piss out of a friend it and it sort of shows his respect for her where he can like joke with her about that of like oh, oh are you are you gonna get on your are you gonna get on your arms like I but, am oh, but are then you? I mean like every time after that is like especially in the the
0: finale act one moment where they're all praying to Buddha and everything mm-hmm. like when he gives like is going to give her the house and everything yeah. that is when I think that they may it's a. It's not negging. You know, poking yeah. the bear. It's like, okay, maybe he's nice, and maybe I give him a little wink and flirt yeah. back or something. You
1: know, it's a that's turning, turning point I for read it. yeah. It's a. Well, and you. And that's the thing about that moment is you can play it millions of ways. You know. Um. Right, right. I. I think because I up until honestly, shall we dance? I always got from Deborah Carr that she didn't necessarily look at the king as a romantic prospect, especially because they. Her whole thing is Anna is like. She's closed off her heart now, at least to romance, and that's like what her old childhood flame kind of says to her. He's like, "You, you can't bury your heart in the ground anymore, Anna. You must, you must come back to England and you must marry me, or something along those lines." And she's like, "No," and that, it sort of shows I'm, you.
0: I'm doing hot girl summer. I'm focusing on me. Goodbye. Yeah, <laughs>
1: me before you. And it, well, it, it kind of shows. I like what I like about having that character, which I think some people might think is superfluous. It a Shows that Anna always has the option to leave Siam and that there are people in London who care about her. And it also shows that, like, her not necessarily wanting to dry hump the king is not a race thing, which I think a lot of people in the 50s would have thought. It's that it's an emotional thing. Like, here's, oh, here's someone of her world who looks like the man she once married, you know, and she still won't go with him either. Like, she has an emotional, not shutdown, but like, she's got a bit of a wall up around her romantic heart. Well, I mean, Uh
0: we we don't really know well do we know when her husband died do is it stated in the movie
1: no it's just that he's dead i would yes. assume i would assume somewhere like between one or two years i yeah, i don't so think it's right before she left recent. but well she's also and she's not in black anymore and i think that i don't know what the culture was at that time i know that in gone with the wind which takes place around the same time as this in in america i think a widow had to wear black for a year and i want mm-hmm. and i mean a lot of culture from america at that time also came from england so i wonder how long she wore black after her husband died so at the very least it's been a year
0: but then also like the way that she talks about him it's clearly like she's not ready
1: yeah well it's
0: at least for my modern 2022 eyes re-watching this movie being like oh she's just not ready to go into the dating pool
1: So there's an interesting the interesting thing about a human's ability to love a person is like there is so much room to love multiple people. Right. And it's just a matter of what kind of love you had and how it ended. And it sounds like to me that Anna found her person in Tom. Like, you know, when we say, like, you're my person, like Tom was Anna's person Mm -hmm. and their marriage ending wasn't due to anything between them. It was a circumstance they couldn't control. He died. And To love again is difficult because you're kind of going into another romance understanding whoever you find next isn't going to be your Your person. person. You had your person, but it can still be a really fulfilling love. But it takes a while to sort of be ready to do that, to mentally understand that, and to then appreciate the person you do fall in love with uh, anew, knowing that it's not going to be. As deep as meaningful, but it'll still be worthwhile. You know?
0: Yeah. I. I mean, I feel like she, she's focusing on her right now.
1: And, yeah. No, she's absolutely focusing on her. And like,
0: love. and like, by the end of the movie, I feel like she has love for the king, but it's not sexual.
1: No. It's it's it is. I think it's
0: purely platonic.
1: Yeah, which I think is a healthier love because it doesn't get complicated by other emotions it's a pure respect and understanding and caring for which and and again really props to deborah carr in this movie who fucking it's all over her face in this movie mama in 1956 is giving us acting that we can understand and it's really fucking beautiful i was like truly blown away at how good she was in this uh and and i'm not trying to wax poetic on this movie i said before i recognize i don't think yul brenner's performance legendary as it has become holds up as well which is ironic uh and there are other people in this movie who i don't think are doing as great a job either like lady tiang is fine but you don't get the sense of bde that ruthie Ann miles had on stage you know the way that ruthie Ann miles approached the role was like lady tiang is in control of everything she's the smartest one in the room and because she knows she's the smartest one in the room she never feels like she has to prove it so she'll let you fall on your face and she won't actually, and she won't uh, say anything about it. She'll be like, you done now? And that's sort of, and she's also a little defensive towards Anna because the whole reason why Anna is there is because the King's trying to bring in Western culture to Siam and Lady Tiang's attitude is sort of like, why? Like what, like, what makes them so great? We're pretty great, I think. And so it takes her a while to warm up to Anna and they sort of become respectful friends as well over the, over oh, the course yeah. of the story yeah you don't really get that energy in the first half in this movie and again that's a that's an acting thing uh and i look forward to hearing your thoughts when you do watch the kelly o'hara version of ruthie and miles you definitely get a little bit of tension because well,
0: they, maybe, maybe i'll do an instagram story like what you do with your your review movie nights drunk movie nights yeah i but gotta I will, do one for i, I gotta do one for 13
1: i gotta do one for 13 i hear it's wild
0: we will talk off recording about 13, oh, the okay. musical. But before we get before we do any of that, also surprised how this conversation, I mean, it did change my mind. I like the fact because you came with talking with you about it. You gave me a little bit more insight background because, you know, I'm just watching the movie. I don't. Yeah i i do i sometimes do some research on the show but like (laughs) i mean i'm a little lazy right now i did i didn't watch i i I, all i have and by some research i mean i just look at the wikipedia page and read the description and everything yeah
1: i know you well enough now john to know exactly what you meant when you said that which is why i laughed you're like that's a little research like you looked at wikipedia and he was like oh no
0: like what
1: do you do to come out on Broadway? That's good enough for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, so, and in your defense, the movie is very faithful to the show to the point where it's like they don't ever really reconceive how to make it work for film. They're just like, we'll cut some songs and we'll and we'll make all the set design from Broadway even more elaborate. And the movie looks gorgeous, but it's not like Sound of Music where they went, how do we take this song and turn it into a montage? How do we move this song and apply it to movie making uh, right, structure? Right,
0: because Ernst Lehman was just like, took a hatchet and just cut things yeah. up. And again, uh, movies,
1: movie musicals were very different in the fifties, the sixties West side story really changed the game of how you can adapt a musical to film. And after that, it was just like hit or miss. It, yeah. <laughs> and, and we had some like, you know, music man or my fair lady that did a very respectful job of still kind of like um preserving the stage show with more money and Hollywood talent. And they do a fine job. But then you have Oliver and Sound of Music. that are like, no, 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 no. Let's really like take advantage of cinema, and those movies are fantastic.
0: Um, which is funny because Ertz Lehman also wrote Sound of Music.
1: <laughs> yes, he did. Yes, he and did. I believe
0: he wrote the other ones that you, not Oliver, but the other ones that you listed.
1: He didn't do My Fair Lady. I know Alan J. Lerner did the screenplay for that. He might have done Music Man, but I. It's oh, been nice. a minute since I've seen that movie. I'll get to it as I get into the '60s with my own movie musical rankings. Uh, but I know I know he's done a few. He also he did a few plays to film as well i know he adapted who's afraid of virginia wolf to film um, i'm
0: i'm i'm so happy to go through his filmography <laughs> he's
1: got he's got some good ones he's got some good yeah. ones i'm also re- i'm in the middle of reading i'm towards the end of it now of uh mike nichols biography that tony kushner's husband wrote oh shit yeah and you know mike nichols right i can't think of what he's done off the top of my head i've definitely
0: covered yeah something he, of his i feel like
1: uh, I don't know if you ever filmed a movie musical, but he did, he did The Graduate, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, The Birdcage, Working Girl. From
0: my other podcast, I've talked about Oh, him, okay. Yes.
1: Great. Uh, Carnal Knowledge. Uh, he did the Angels in America miniseries, and on stage... He, Shut up. Yeah. That's on crazy. stage, he directed Spam lot and the original Odd Couple. He did a lot of Neil Simon shit. Uh, so, but, so with Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, Ernest Lehman, as you mentioned, wrote the screenplay, and by wrote the screenplay, uh, Edward Albee's like, he basically took my play put it on film, changed a couple of the curse words, and took one scene, put it out of the living room, and for some reason into a dive bar. He's like, that's all he did. But he did kind of um, do minor edits to it to just kind of keep the motor going for that movie, which is really impressive. Like, Ernest Lehman is really good at keeping the motor of a stage play on film moving, uh, because while King and I is long, it never, for me, it doesn't drag in the way that... two hour plus movies of this era do um it's like it's again it's not the tightest it's not the tightest but if you ever yeah if you john have you ever seen ben Hur? no but i know it's like
0: four hour four hours long and it's a bible epic yes and
1: boy do you feel every second of that movie talk about a movie that has not aged well that movie is beautiful to look at it's the worst acting i've ever seen and it is boring 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 i hate it i hate it i hate it which version of it you're the the one with charlton heston the anti-semite not not
0: the remake that they did in like the 2000s
1: i don't even pay attention to that no um i guess that one's not four hours i have no idea but i know i know ben Hur is
0: famous for the chariot scene yes which
1: is you know a good scene but it's 10 minutes of a four hour movie that's yes. gross. So I compare that to King and I. were like, yes, it's two hours and 20 minutes, but you know, it lags, but you're never like, oh my god, we're only 30 minutes in. You're like, okay, like we're 30 minutes in. That's what I kind of expected. You're like, every time you check the time, you're like, that's what I thought rather than like, it's only been 15 minutes. Yes, yes. yes.
0: Um, Matt, is there anything else you want to talk about before we get into sharp and flat?
1: Um, no, I guess everything in sharp and flat we'll talk about. Yeah, uh, great. I, I guess, yeah, last thing I'll just say, as I said before, I do think this movie is good and the things that are good about it keep it from you know uh being uh archaic but it is victim to 1950s movie making culture with the casting with sort of the staginess of the filming and uh in some of the acting So you have to take all that into account when you watch this movie, knowing that things are cut, that not all lines of dialogue are given the best acting treatment, that you're not going to see a fully Asian cast play Asian people. Um, And again, in defense of this movie, not defense, but just again, it's sort of the culture that it's taking place. And this is seven years before Mickey Rooney fully dons yellow face in Breakfast at Tiffany's.
0: Really? It's it's seven years? Jesus.
1: Yep. And I mean, this kind of shit was still happening well into the sixties and still happened in pockets of the seventies and eighties. The one thing I'll say about this movie is always know when you're watching it, if there's anything that kind of rubs you the wrong way at the very least with Rogers and Hammerstein themselves, it always came from a place of respect and wanting to give characters humanity. And if they ever came up short, it's just like, that's where people were in 1951, but they were definitely 10 miles ahead of pretty much every other white man in their, in their industry who was doing uh, work of the same uh, high profileness, if not necessarily quality. So we have to give them props, Mama, for that.
0: Yeah. Alright. Let's go into sharp and flat, shall we? Let's do it! Sharp! Flat! So in this section, we're going to highlight some moments, whether or not we talked about it, if we liked it, it's sharp, and if we uh-huh. didn't like it, I thought it could change. It's flat. Um, can I go first with my sharps? Go, or please you go first, baby. So... I basically like chirped the women of this movie. Um, I liked I, I, I like the return of Marnie Nixon because we mm-hmm. love her. It's um, also I would
1: say it's the, this is the best dubbing of any movie actress ever because Marnie Nixon and Deborah Carr worked hand in hand together. Yeah,
0: I was reading about it that like they literally had her Marnie Nixon on set with Deborah Kerr. So Carr,
1: Carr, Carr,
0: Carr, Deborah Carr. So this way, like. I feel like Deborah Carr can sing that's the thing but like I don't think she can sing Anna that yeah. was the idea
1: and she pitches her voice to match how Marnie Nixon's singing like they find a way in the middle if you ever see Deborah Carr in like From Here to Eternity how she acts as Anna, how she sounds it's not quite her normal speaking voice so they work it in a way so that way it's so fucking fluid and you mm-hmm. can't tell, you really can't tell
0: no, um, after our discussion I didn't write mm-hmm. it down initially but after our discussion I do want to sharp Anna Mm -hmm. um because she slaps um and also i like i'm sharpening the fact that they had female guards even in history i don't think that would be i don't know if that's true i would i did i wasn't around in 1860s who knows but i really appreciate you weren't
1: john where were you
0: well i'm it may have been a past life that i can't remember right now uh Uh, but (laughs) she was busy but like i liked that you know the female guards were represented, and it wasn't all men in the same uni- the same like uniforms and everything. Um, and then also, I do want a sharp lady Tiang.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Lady Tiang slaps again. Bitch has big dick energy. She got. I. She got a this- big old dicky.
0: In this version that we kind of cast the people from the prom movie. Mm-hmm. Um, can we have a scene where Lady Tiong is in pants? Just cause. Sure. Yeah. No men. Be- no one brings it up. She's in pants.
1: She's just in pants and flats. Well, and- well they're all in. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Ugg boots. she's in Ugg boots. She's like, <laughs> I want to be comfy. I want to be comfy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, what are
1: your sharps? With the women as well. Deborah Carr, number one. Number one sharp. Her performance really took me by surprise. I want to give props, Mama, to Rita Moreno, who even though also, Sorry, also doesn't,
0: I, yes, I do yeah. want to
1: also sharp her. Also doesn't do her own singing, but really does a lovely job in this. I want to give a sharp to the uh, aesthetic. I think this movie looks absolutely stunning, and not in a way that I think fetishizes the East in a way a lot of other movies of this time did. You're right. Yeah uh the this movie lost best picture to another like big starry epic cult around the world in eighty days, which was essentially a comedy that no one found very funny, but it made so much money because every movie star was in it for five seconds and ta- like if you ever watch clips of that movie, the way they fetishize cultures that are not like America or england like it's just it's woof, and I give them a lot of uh credit that the design of this movie beautiful as it is. It doesn't, it's not so realistic that you're like, oh, clearly it's documentary, but it's not so fetishizing that you're like, oh, you did no research. Like we said before, it's like they did the research and then they elaborated from there, which I think also helps frame musical because you really can't have reality in a musical. The emotions are real. The circumstances are not. And yeah, I, I mean,
0: think- uh, to, uh, to yeah. k- piggyback off of you, they did mm-hmm. make it like grandiose and yeah. everything, but like he's a king. So yeah. of course it's going to be, you know, statues and gold and
1: big, big set pieces, basically. Yeah. But again, like it, the the design is not so much that it's like glamorously exotic. Like there's a lot of beauty to it, but there are times when the palace looks domineering and scary uh, mm-hmm. or isolating. Like all this open space, and you just and you're this tiny person with nowhere to go. So they really, I like that they do all that. Um, I want to sharp the score. I think it's a great score. I think the music is still beautiful. I will... I stand by it. I sharp Small House of Uncle Thomas which is a really unique blend of ballet and um, Asian theater which requires so much imagination and really works in its own world that I can't describe. It goes beyond des- description. Uh, anything else I want to sharp? Uh, I want to sharp... Oh, oh! I want to sharp having not so much Louie. I want to sharp... <laughs> I want to sharp using the kids sporadically in this film. Thank you, um, for for a movie where a lot of Anna's turning points are regarding the children. We don't see much of the children, and I love that. Uh, I would also like to sharp Yul Brenner's chest. It's a good chest, and we see a lot of it.
0: <laughs> or it's very in very tight shirts. So it's yes. either it's either exposed mm-hmm. or in or the the top is very tight, and you are like I could still see every muscle yeah um, they know
1: they know what we want. They're giving it to us, mama
0: <laughs> all right, uh, do you want to go first with your flats? Well do, do, we, have do we have any? any
1: neutrals? Do we have any neutrals? I don't
0: have any naturals. oh, sorry
1: nat- do, nat- you nat- nat- an, naturals do you have naturals you have a natural My one natural, mm-hmm. I guess I would say is are the cuts. I understand why for time's sake, that we do them I I think there are three songs that really enhance uh the themes and the women's roles, and we'd already and because we sharp the women so hard in this, it's like give a, give them more to do, yeah, I want more.
0: Yeah. yeah, but but you also understand like why they were cut.
1: Yeah, I, I understand why they were cut. Uh, I'm not mad at the movie that we have. I just sort of sit here and go, oh, I would love to see Deborah Carr's Shall I Tell You What I Think of You? I feel like that would be so good. I feel like she would fucking... She could have won the Oscar, I think, if that song were still in the movie. Because that's uh... the other thing about Anna. Anna is a role that always gets you nominated and often wins. Um, Every actress who's played Anna Leowens on stage has been nominated for the Tony and three have won. Oh, shit. Yeah, it's right. like a guarantee nomination role.
0: So instead of redoing it, we should build a time machine.
1: Go yeah, go back, go back, and be like, Lehman, you motherfucker! You give, <laughs> you give Car this number because we're gonna give her the goddamn Oscar. Ingrid Bergman and Anastasia, that piece of bullshit. No, I don't need Arthur Lawrence looking at me being like, I wrote a screenplay, the one Ingrid Bergman, an Oscar. I'm like Arthur Lawrence, go fuck yourself. No one likes you. Moving on. Sh- Flats, Flats, go first. Flats, um, you go first.
0: okay. Um, <laughs> you're gonna really just like. End the Zoom call with this one. There wasn't a dragon. <laughs> you know Come what? On. I, lost, I lost my mind when watching the uh-huh. 1999 animated version and a dragon came out and they sang whistle a happy tune in order to defeat the said dragon.
1: Whistle the happy tune? I went, yeah. Girl, so I will say this to you I respect you and I understand you. And on a gay, drunk movie night level, absolutely where's the dragon yes on a, yes on the quality level snip snip no um, no, on, no, no, on, on, no no oh no it's mean, I, I, respectful I, to asian I, culture snip snip but no i i hear you i, I i'm i not mad at you i'm not ending the zoom call i totally get that <laughs> i totally get that
0: um but a real <laughs> flat is louis
1: Nowens. <laughs> i still hate him yeah he's he's,
0: annoying.
1: he's he's gonna grow up to be an annoying white male like get him the fuck out of here um
0: okay so there this might be a hot, hot topic, but like I felt like there was still racism in the script and in the casting as well. And we talked about the casting. Sure. There's also some lines that I'm like, I think you could have cut this. And I can't think of any to, as an example
1: saying calling it racism is a little different in my eyes. Cause again, I don't think the intentions of Hammerstein of Rogers and Hammerstein were racist. I'd call them more blind spots of okay due to the time that they were in and not knowing what they didn't know um i think the majority of the story and the script still works very well but i again i'm not waxing poetic i do think there are bumps along the road uh but because the overall whole i think achieves the goal i don't mind it so much but i hear you and i I don't disagree with you there are lines every now and then where you go ah. but
0: also i don't know if this is in the script or if this is the closed captioning mm-hmm. but Every time they say, uh, every time the king says linking, Lincoln, like Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln, it's spelled L-I-N-G-K-O-N-G. Right. And I'm just like,
1: let's Prime. not blame, let's not blame the writers for the closed captions. No, no, no but, that, but I hear you.
0: That's I, that's that may be Evans on Prime because that's where yeah. I watched it. But who knows? Um, I watched.
1: I I have it on DVD, so I I didn't see what the captions were for that. I think that's probably them trying to uh present to it is, yes. audio impaired here is like there is a there is a language barrier here
0: um and then also in all caps i just wrote down the
1: patriarchy um, sure <laughs> i will sure. always flat the patriarchy Apps a fucking too. uh i will flat patriarchy as well although i think again i talked it's, about no the, it is the, a, there
0: the, is a reason there is a yes. point
1: and and the king is like he he is trying to progress as much as he knows how The fact that he's not progressing to how we would like him to progress is due to it being 1860s. Him being again the king of a motherfucking country, country
0: where, where, like you said earlier, his word is God, and or he is the voice of God in a way, or something like that. Yeah,
1: that's that they kind of talk about. It's what leads into a puzzlement: is you know, don't you know? Doesn't like God tell you what to do? And of course, like God doesn't tell him what to do. He he just goes with his gut. And because he's king, everyone's like, well, it's preordained. Then so you say it, it means that. blah blah blah. and no Um, one says no to him yeah and and but and it's the first time that we know of anyway that he's ever gone huh what if my what if my instincts are not always correct and yeah and and which takes a lot of mental brain power you know mental brain power the same thing takes a lot of brain power to 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 be in that position because absolute power does corrupt like i don't care who you are uh when you are when you are in that position for so long, it does something to you, even if you don't recognize it. So to kind of take a step back from that and have that inner conflict is is speaks highly, I think, of of that character as a person.
0: Uh do you have any other flats? Or is it just the
1: Patriots? Um yeah. Na- the 1950s. I want to flat the 1950s. Ooh, okay. I wish yeah, I wish that um movie musicals were starting to incorporate some of the acting and uh directing that other non-musical films were starting to incorporate taking some more risks on a cinematic on a cinematography front uh some more uh grounded acting from the performances but considering it's 1956 it could be a lot worse and in fact earlier that year there was a rogers and hammerstein movie musical that did do a lot worse and it's the movie version of carousel it's garbage i if you have you covered it already
0: no, I was going to ask you if you wanted to do it at some I'll point. I'll absolutely
1: cover it with you because the truth is, like, that is a movie where I, I will make you do research and I will make you watch the Lincoln Center bootleg before okay. you watch the movie because I need you to know what the show is before you what see do you- the bastardization that the movie does.
0: Got it. Okay. We will yeah. figure this out. We'll air. figure it out. Sometime uh, between
1: now and when we're both dead.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you have any, uh, uh, would you add any of the songs from this movie to your life's playlist? the movie version movie not, version
1: not king and i as an
0: amalgamation oh, yeah.
1: The movie. Um, sure let's add that mashup let's add that lunta Tub Tim mashup baby glee has nothing on king and i glee has nothing on king and i um
0: lady tiong sings hello young lovers or is that no that's that's anna?
1: anna uh lady tiong sings something wonderful would you add hello young lovers
0: I think I will. I mean, it's it's a sweet
1: song. It's a beautiful song. Did you what? add that last time when we did the animated one? I think I you think did. I did. Yeah, you I did think, love that song.
0: I mean, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful song, and it's like showcasing your talent.
1: Which, yeah,
0: is yeah. that is that an actually Marnie Nixon song, or is that Deborah Carr singing it? Or is no, it it's
1: it's always Marnie Nixon singing. It's it. it's never, Nixon? Again, that's the beauty of the dubbing is you're you're never sure. It's always Nixon. Um, King and I was also a star vehicle for Gertrude Lawrence, who was never a great singer, but was also much older at the time that they were writing it for her, and she was dying of cancer that no one knew. So like, how life imitates art. So they all the Anna songs were not like super vocally intense. They're they're relatively simple in a lot of ways. They wrote they actually wrote a lot of the big soaring stuff for Tup Tim and Lady Tiang. So like Hello Young Lovers is a gorgeous song, but it's also not vo- like vocally impressive in the front where you're like, oh, my God, she hit that note. You're just like, what a beautiful sentiment. And I love that you and your old age, John, are like, oh, I love looking at young people and going, well, you have your whole life ahead of you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's also just like a sweet song. And yeah. I think
1: I have this image of you sitting at a cafe, smoking a cigarette outside, listening to Hello Young Lovers and just like looking at all the young people in love and going, hmm, live your life, baby. <laughs>
0: How did you know?
1: <laughs> I'm secretly watching you everywhere I go.
0: <laughs> well, Matt, on that note, that stalkery note, uh, we are done with the episode. Woo! We um, made it. What do you have to plug or promote?
1: So I don't think that my new series will happen at that point yet. I'm still figuring that shit out. But you can listen to Broadway Breakdown, all previous episodes. It's available literally everywhere. The new season I'll be doing, or series I'll be doing, is uh, off-Broadway-to-Broadway transfers, both musicals and plays. I won't be doing all of them. There are far too many, so I'm still selecting which ones. And also, fun fact, it should be made publicly known by this point uh, when this episode comes out. But Broadway Breakdown will have been picked up by the Broadway Podcast Network as one of their newest podcasts. So you you can find bitch that's
0: awesome
1: thank you so you can also find me on their uh site and and things and then maybe even by this point i'll have guests on a few other hosts podcasts because that's something that they like to do is have hosts guess on each other's podcasts I i'll go on, guest bro- on i'll yours. go on carrie Butler's podcast and be like hey carrie hey bitch
0: be, be like, hey, Carrie, I just introduced uh, King and I to this other podcast. You, you don't know him, but you should listen to it and maybe bring him on your show. What? What? Yeah. what?
1: I'm like, Carrie Butler, have you ever thought about playing Lady Tiang?
0: <laughs> um, and, oh, Kelly O'Hara. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Be like, bitch, bring, your, bring this person on here, too. Yeah! Uh, <laughs> yeah why not? Um. And if you want to, I don't know, Tell me more about the King and I. You can. Yeah. You can email me at, at gmail.com.
1: I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Um I bet you can tell John some stuff about King and I because that bitch has done barely any research. I looked at the Wikipedia page days before we
0: were. We actually recorded this episode. Well, that's on that's on I you. We forgot. were supposed to
1: record a few days ago. No, I was no, walking down the street and I it's completely fine. forgot.
0: I had time to relook at it. I didn't
1: (laughs) you didn't do it but you had the time I
0: had the time but I didn't do it um and if you want to be part of the next episode's conversation we're going to be talking about tick tick
1: boom okay yeah he's he loves to swim (laughs) he does he loves to swim he does love to swim Matt thank you so much for
0: coming back on and hopefully we'll garner like 75 downloads or something with this
1: episode I hope so, John. I, I love being your lucky charm these days. It makes you feel so special.
0: Thank you for making the deal with the devil or whatever.
1: Uh, uh, he's a friend.
0: <laughs> Tell him I said hi and I'll see him soon. Bye for nah. now, everyone! Special thanks to Justin Johnson for creating the podcast's artwork and to Nick Bombasino for composing the theme song and the jingles in this podcast. And thank you to CastBox for hosting this podcast. Bye again, everyone, and have a musical day.